Football Made Simple. Become great at your craft by finding ways to make it simple for those around you. This is the Coaching 101 Podcast, hosted by Find A Way Productions. With your co-host, Daniel Chamberlain and Kenny Simpson. Welcome back, coaches. This is the Coaching 101 Podcast. Co-host here, Kenny Simpson and Daniel Chamberlain. Coach, how's your evening going? Yeah, going well. We got we got a stud on here tonight, though, so I'm gonna let him get going. I'm excited about Tony, one of my favorite people. He didn't even know that, but like I, I really like he speaks truth in a world that sometimes we don't speak truth. So I, I don't want to interrupt him, and I'm excited to have him on here. Yeah, so we got Tony Holler here with us tonight, Coach. Uh, I'm gonna let you do a quick introduction for yourself. Yeah, well, I'm, my name is Tony Holler, and uh, my last ten years have been kind of crazy. I was just kind of a normal coach you know like three sport coach I started off as a head basketball coach for about 10 years and then um, I coached football for about 25 and I've coached track as my 42nd year of coaching track and you know and but in the last 10 years the world's changed a little bit you know and you know uh, the the advent of Twitter um, content creation Um, about 10 years ago someone asked me to write an article for a coaches association um, and and I was like, I've never written anything before. And since then, I've written like 300 articles. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of the, the Stephen King of uh, of track and field, now football. And I've ventured now into lacrosse. And uh, I've been overseas giving workshops and things. So, you know, it's one of those things where 10 years ago, if somebody was said, where do you picture yourself in 10 years? I mean, I would have had no idea, which is kind of fun. Right. No, that's awesome, man. Um, you know, we've, we speak about feed the cats a lot down here and in, in, I say down here, Northeast Oklahoma. I don't know if that's up here or down here. I guess it depends on where you're listening from, but, uh, yeah, we, we'll go down. And, uh, <laughs> and so we do talk about it a lot. Um, I'm, I'm partnered with, uh, Joe Daniel and we, we have a speed program we're selling, which is, um, athletic speed and movement at athletic speed movement.com. But, um, you know, ours is more about like the body quick movements in, you know, in, in tiny spaces, less of the straight line speed and, and top speed stuff. So um, I like being able to kind of hybridize them and mix what you do and what we're trying to, to put out there. And man, it makes it a lot of fun, but your stuff has definitely got some legs coach. It is, it's all over the place. Yeah. It's odd that um, probably the state where it's most common is Texas, you know, like the, the, the most uh, traditional football state, there is. And uh, I spoke down in Houston a couple of months ago, and I think I had about 200 football coaches there and, and they're, they're just really into it. And I, I think when you hear my ideas, it's just really hard to disregard them. Um, and, and I think another thing too, is that um, what, what I suggest coaches do is to eliminate a lot of things, but the things I want them to add doesn't have much of a cost. Speed training does not does not wear kids out. If if speed training is wearing kids out, you're doing it wrong. Right. So uh, so it, it's really something that could almost turn into a high intensity warm up for practice, and that's what a lot of teams are doing. You know, you you talked about the invention of Twitter kind of being this this thing that drove everyone's business plans in different ways, right? I mean, it it really did. Um, I think it also moved coaching. It moved the needle because. Finally, there was a public forum where we could um, speak judgmentally, but in generalities about people who were doing absolutely asinine things. And I think that opened some coaches' eyes. Like maybe they weren't called out, but they went, oh my goodness, I'm doing that too. You know, we're running 50 gassers after practice because I need conditioning. That's a whole new realm that that coaches are getting open. Their eyes are being opened like, oh, (laughs) I didn't know there was science behind this. We've just been doing it since the 40s. I thought that's what we're supposed to do. And you're bringing that to, to a lot of speed training um, for, for coaches as well. It can be fun, right? Um, you know, the biggest principle, and I'm, you'll be talking the, the key concepts of your program shortly, but the one that I've heard the most is like, do everything fresh, right? Like it's, you don't want to train speed when you're already dog tired. Like it, and it, that alone has helped a lot of people, I think. And, and your ideas mixed with social media is really just kind of 
It's changed the status quo of what coaching is about. And people that aren't are doing it just because they're hard-headed and they refuse to believe in anything else than, than what they had um, you know, implied on them. So uh, before we go any further, Coach Simpson, why don't you go ahead and tell us um, how a new head coach or any coach really can simplify their concepts for uh, other coaches on staff and for their players. Sure, yeah. Uh, Coaching 101 Podcast is sponsored by Findaway Productions. Findaway Productions has three platforms, OffensiveCoordinatorAcademy.com, all things offense, including the academy, workbook, all kinds of materials, DefensiveCoordinatorAcademy.com, which is the same but for defense with a brand-new defensive line coach academy that just came out. Uh, So find workbooks, find academies, find materials, and also, of course, fbcoachsimpson.com, uh, which houses headsets, which actually we talked Coach Holler into doing a whole season with us there in season two. So a ton of his articles are in season two's headsets issues. Uh, but it also hosts the Gun T offensive system, uh, three, four swarm defense, and then 29 other books and about 50 to 60 coaching materials. Awesome. Appreciate it, Coach. Well, we'll jump right into some questions here. Um, Coach Holler, since you're the, the visitor here, you win the coin toss. We're going to let you talk first, uh, mainly because it's your program. So uh, the first question is, how does the Feed the Cats program work in football? So how do you convert it from being a track speed, linear, you know, straight line speed workout and get into football where we're jitterbugs in the backfield? Yes, well, first of all, there, there's a lot of people um, who try to reverse engineer football too much so, in my opinion, where they say, okay, football, for example, is all acceleration. And I, I say, yeah, I think it, you're pretty much right there. So we're not going to sprint. We are just going to run tens. We're only going to accelerate. Or they say, you know, nobody runs in a straight line. So we're only going to do, you know, cone drills and things like that. And, and I'm like, okay. So the fundamental ideas are sound, but the problem comes when if if you are slow in a straight line, you are not going to be a good accelerator. If you're slow in a straight line, you're not going to be good from cone to cone. That speed, I say, is the tide that lifts all boats. And one of the things that I've just joined with Les Bellman in a partnership, and I think it was a match kind of made in heaven. I love, I love Les. And we, we were talking recently about maybe we should stop calling it speed training. Because too many football coaches say, I don't want a sprinter. I want a football player. Instead, maybe we should call it CNS training. Because there is nothing more extreme than sprinting as fast as you can in a straight line. That is the most extreme movement in the world. And when we do that consistently two or three times a week uh, over years and years and years, our central nervous system becomes improved. And with that central nervous system, we become better accelerators, better at agility, better at, 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 at absorbing force. I mean, it is truly the tide that lifts all boats, but, but yet it's like, I just saw a tweet the other day by a guy saying, you know, I, I don't know why track coaches have any clout in football, you know, the track and football is two different things. And you could tell this guy had never won a race in his life. You know, he, he's one of those thick hairy legged guys that lived in a weight room and stuff. And, and I understand what he's saying, but to ignore the central nervous system is just, I mean, you want fast football players and we can do all those other things. Matter of fact, if you sprint fast, you have to accelerate. I mean, so that that's taken care of. Um, but when you sprint fast, um, you can still do agility work. You can still do football work. I say to be general in the weight room, extreme in speed training and specific in football. And I think that's, that's, you know, a, a huge thing. And, and what coaches have found out is that when they stop chasing fatigue, um, things just start working better. And that's actually the name of my book that I'm on the third writing. I will be on the third writing come June. Um, and eventually I'll publish. And my name of my book is tired is the enemy. I mean, it's that central to everything I believe that, you know, the cowards, I'm sorry, that fatigue really does make cowards of us all. But really what Lombardi should have been telling people is we don't want tired players. We, we should not try to get kids tired every damn day. We should not be burning the stake. 
we should want fresh, fast athletes every damn day. Right. Coach, you almost said cowards fatigue us all, and that is also true. So <laughs> fatigue makes cowards of us all and cowards <laughs> fatigue us all. So, so you weren't wrong either way. So look, can we talk about um, and a little bit of pieces here? So off-season development, you know, a lot of coaches right now, which by the time this comes out, still be summertime, so it's still off-season. Um, they're going to be in their off-season program. So where do you tie your Feed the Cats program into um, kind of the off-season? And Kenny, I'm, after him, I'd love to hear how you're using it as well, if it's not, if it's not verbatim, <laughs> and it may be. Well, uh, everything I do is really simple and direct, uh, everything I say. And so – what, what I would suggest, first of all, is to get rid. There, there's some schools around here that literally in Illinois, you can have 25 contact day, days in the summer. And they literally go from seven in the morning till noon. And they wonder why basketball players don't play football. Right. They, I mean, it's ridiculous. But yet this is the mentality of, of the Neanderthal football uh, world. And so the first thing I would do is, was since you only, since fatigue is the enemy, I would consider doing a Monday, Wednesday, Friday format so that the kids could have an off day. Um, I would suggest a three-prong approach that we want to, you know, there's three ways to win a war. Um, there's speed, power, and misdirection. And I think that that could be used in a football sense that that I think that that you could do 45 minutes of speed training every day, or Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 45 minutes of weight room work Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then get specific in football for about an hour and 20 minutes. So, so the format would look kind of like this. You take your best half of your athletes and have them speed train first by speed training. You're doing exercises that improve speed. It also warms them up. And then you time three short sprints and then you record rank and publish and you make a big deal out of it. And you, and you give out, miles per hour wristbands to your kids and and speed becomes the centerpiece of your program while the best half of your athletes are doing that the lesser half will be weightlifting and i know that sounds bad you know like oh do you all no hell no you take the kids they're going to win games for you and you have them speed train first every day because that's optimal now the other kids are going to get it too but they're going to lift first and speed train second so there will be a flip-flop situation. So instead of having like 80 kids in the weight room, you'll have 40 kids speed training, 40 kids in the weight room. And, and then you flip-flop and then you get out on the field and you say, wait, an hour and 20 minutes of football work? Well, you're already warmed up. You cut out all the crap like speed ladders. You cut out, you know, monkey rolls and, you know, moving around tractor tires. And, and, and you start doing things that are specific to football you know, offense, defense, fundamentals, blocking, tackling, things like that. And, and you say, well, gee, that's just not enough. I just don't think they're going to be in shape. They're going to be in fine shape. And then, then of course you do zero conditioning. One of the things with feed the cats, zero conditioning, you let the sport train the sport and you will make your sport so much more. Um, um, it will look so much better to that point guard, that starting point guard on the varsity basketball team might actually come out and play corner for you because your practices look not fun in a goofy type of way, but fun for an athlete. You are doing specific things. You are not just getting tired to get tired. And, and then they come back two days later and they're ready to go again. Coach, uh, you said two things there that just touched me in the soul. And that is number one, I am a 90 minute practice person. I, I think 90 minutes is what you need cut out all the rest of that BS. Like you talked about the warm up. If you're speed training, you've already done the warm up and the conditioning that's gone too. So now how much time do you really need to put to practice football? Figure it out. Um, we're huge on when the, when the 90 minutes is over, it's done. You're not making up extra stuff. If you didn't give me your hardest for 90 minutes, you're the one that lost out today. And the other thing is burn the damn ladders. <laughs> I don't know if you're that severe on it, but we are right. And that's part of the, the program we sell is like, if you're practicing speed, by picking up your legs and putting them down in a bunch of little squares, you're doing it wrong, right? Like that, that just messes up your fundamentals for the end of the day when it's, when it's time to go run speed, top speed, I need to go. Um, I'm not going to put my eyes on the ground. I'm not going to do little chops with my hands and I'm not going to put my feet six inches from each other. So um, I love it. I absolutely love those two things right there are, are I'm, <laughs> yes, perfect. 
Coach Simpson, um, we're going to talk about your offseason program. Where are you using Feed the Cats at right now? And is it does it vary from what uh, Coach Holler just gave us? A little, not much. There are a couple of things the coach hit on that we uh, we kind of like it. What are the fundamental elements of what coach is saying? Like his rank, record, publish. I think coaches over, over they overlook that a lot where when you're going to run, well, we do it all the time with weight. You know, you look at the, you walk into any football program across America and they're going to have our top 10 benchers and squatters and whatever. And where Tony's stuff comes in, I think, is where you start doing it with speed because we've convinced our kids this. I will not ask you to ever condition. And that's something that we got from him. But when we go, we are going to freaking go. And so when it's time to go, and that talks about reps, like if we're doing reps on air, it applies there. We're going to give you 30 seconds to rest because that's what you have in a game. But when it's time to go, you go. And I think our kids have started to buy into that. But part of that is the ranking and recording. And so every time we go, we go. There's no half whatever. Um, where we're a little different is just because of the days. You know, we have our kids five days a week because we're at school. So basically what we do is we would lift uh, three days a week and we do speed work two days a week. And so, um, and, and again, that'll vary depending on what season we're in. We're, we're in Arkansas. We don't have an indoor. So sometimes we would like those to be scattered. Sometimes due to weather, you kind of have to modify and adjust and do things. But when we do speed, that's all we do. We only have 45 minutes. So we do all speed that day, and then we'll lift another day and kind of work that way. But other than other than that, similar. And in the summer, we're big where Tony is too, where we go four days a week. So uh, I couldn't let too much football coach get away from me, Tony. But we only go two hours total, like two hours total. And half of that is speed. Uh, we usually do about 30 minutes of speed, and then we'll do about a 30-minute lift. And then we do an hour on the field. Uh, and then we usually we have one competition day per week. Here's what I'd say for a lot of coaches. We talked about this, Daniel, in the episode before, is a lot of coaches equate, especially football coaches. And it's not a bad thing. I, I know that it's unfortunately, I'm sorry, let me phrase that right. It's not meant to be a bad thing, but it is a bad thing. We equate hard work to long hours. That's just kind of what we've been taught. That's what we've that's what our value system is. And so we feel like if our opponent is going five hours a day, well, dad gummit, we're going six. You know, and I think that's where it's hard for old, old coaches like me to get all the way on board with Tony. I am. I've got I've made the conversion. You got me. But it took a while because it was hard for me to recognize I'm gonna get outworked. Like that was in my mind, and it was so hard, so hard to get rid of it. I don't want to be thought of as a guy who's being lazy, you know, and that's kind of the critique I'm sure you hear, Tony, you know, you know I think we, it, all, we all came it. from there. I think every coach came from hard work. All of us, we were the guy that came early and stayed late. We were the, the guy that never missed a session. I mean, it, you know, we, we were not the lazy athlete. We were the hard workers. We outworked everybody. And I think it's real hard to shake that. Uh, later in life, you know, so, so no, that, that's a, that's a really important thing, I think. Yep. I already forgot my point. So I'm glad you, you spoke up there, coach. <laughs> I would have dropped the ball. Um, so in season, um, you know, we kind of talked about our off season type stuff. So in season, you know, I know we prefer to go with about two days a week for speed because you're going to play Friday. So you need at least a day of rest. So you're looking Monday, Wednesdays when we're going to get our speed training. Um, we actually had uh, Derek Smith on the uh, the other podcast that I'm on, I don't know, probably pushing a year ago now. But he came on and gave us some stats, and I'm going to try to pull these out of thin air. I can't remember exactly. But essentially, it takes approximately 10 days to start losing strength. It takes approximately like 9 to 10 days to start losing your conditioning. But it takes about 3 days to start losing your top speed. And that, um, you know, I'd have to get the paper that was published that scientifically proves that, but just taking him at his word, because that's, you know, what he does as a professional, it's pretty eye-opening to think, I'm so worried about getting these lifts in, or, you know, how many gassers we got to run after practice today, which we don't. Um, but th that's that's out the window now, I, I believe, with most coaches that I deal with. Um but why aren't we worried about top speed? Why are we not lining up and sprinting at the beginning of every single practice? Um, you know, that's – we're all looking to see the grass when we show up to an away game is three inches long, right? Like, that's the goal. <laughs> when you're the fast team, they want to slow you down. Why aren't we doing things to become that? 
Right? Why are we continuously, yep, we better get the weight room in. That's important. But also, we'll get our speed in at the gassers at the end of the day. I don't, it's weird to me. Well, so. that stuff that Derek talked about is is very true. Um, I spent a weekend with Kyle Bolton. Um, he's kind of the speed guru for uh, TCU. And, uh, you know, they had, an, they had an amazing season this year. And uh, and I asked him this interesting question. I said, what is the number one reason why you are speed training throughout the season? And you would think it'd be because speed kills, you know, we win. He didn't say that. He said health. One word answer, health. And and compare that to, I, I won't call out the s guy, but there's an SNC guy in the uh, Big Ten that says we never sprint for more than 10 yards. Um, we only do 10-yard accelerations because we don't want hamstring injuries. So these are two diametrically – I mean, one guy's right and one guy's wrong, but right. two totally opposite things. The reason why you need to sprint a couple times a week, whether you're TCU, the Eagles are doing it now, uh, Les Bellman did it with Arizona that really had a, a remarkable comeback year this year. You've got to sprint a couple times a week at top speed, and it's for health as much as anything. But I think it's also pretty important to be the fastest team or the faster you've ever been at the end of the year instead of before the season starts. So I think that thing that is really, really important. And what they've done now, we probably can't afford GPS stuff in practice, but <laughs> I'd love it. I'd it yeah. looks so fun on Twitter. I love seeing those guys. So what they, what they do is this, let's say you, you have uh, eight wide receivers for the Eagles and, um, and five of them got up to 19 or 20 miles an hour in practice. Okay. They've gotten their dose of speed training, but how about those other ones? Those, those guys that only got up to 13 or 14, uh, they, they don't need conditioning. They need to get up to top speed a couple times or else they're going to lose it. Right. And it's not just the receivers. I was on a podcast with a guy that said, Hey, you know, our long snappers, we don't do any speed work with them. I'm like, that's what I mean about reverse engineering the game. They say, since we, since that guy never sprints, we don't need to sprint him. And I'm, I'm saying the faster that long snapper becomes the better athlete he will become. And we want good athletes at every position. Right. Oh, that makes sense, man. If you can't, I'm there with you. What if you need him to play? What if, what if right? And I, I guess at collegiate level, maybe that what if is a little smaller, but I, I can tell you who my long snapper is. It's my free safety who also plays some slot receiver for us, right? And he's my backup quarterback and he's taking some handoffs. So um, if you're at the high school level and you don't have 240 kids coming out or whatever you big schools have, I don't, I don't know. But you know, if you're, if you're repping 40 kids or 35, uh, Run them all, even the kicker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't. I, there's no reason to not run them. Get them some speed training. Um, all right, so we'll go into the essential parts of the program. So, um, Coach, number one, I want to hear what are your non-negotiables. So when you're talking feed the cats or just speed training in, in total, right? It can be the stuff that you've studied to get where you are. What are the non-negotiables of speed training? I, I think a non-negotiable is um, is – you need to speed train two or three times a week. You must record, rank, and publish. You must reward speed with, you know, like I love the miles per hour stuff. Um, um, it's huge. Um, I, I, I think that my, my shirt says rest, recover, sleep. I, I think that, you know, like I have a couple of track kids right now. We have a really good team. A couple of track kids that have been sore and beat up. Just way too much. I'm like, you're just not getting enough sleep. The only time we heal, the only time we grow is when we sleep and, and kids don't sleep enough. And, right. and I, I think that's a non-negotiable that, that championship sleep is nine hours. And it's the hardest thing a teenager will ever do, will ever do. I don't know if I could have done it, even though I wanted to be a great player. I don't know if I could have slept nine hours at night. Um, you know, I, my favorite time at night was when, after my parents got to, went to bed. You know, and I kind of own the house. So, right. so it's so hard to get that sleep. I, I think you got to do away with conditioning. And and when you do that, I think what Kenny said was so important. When you do away with conditioning and you shorten your practices, kids will give you more. They will give you more. They will actually want 
to give you more. You don't, if, if kids truly love what they're doing, and I, I think that practice should be the best part of a kid's day, that we shouldn't have, you know, like 95% of a kid's uh, athletic careers, football careers practice. Right. If practice sucks every damn day, that means 95% of their experience sucked. And we can make football practice not goofy fun, but competitive fun. And it, kids can see significance in everything we do. So when we shorten it up and and we go, as can you say, go, we go. And I think kids really buy into that fast. And when that happens, coaches become better coaches because they don't have to be a jerk anymore. They don't have to push kids. Kids, when they love something, feel pulled. They don't feel pushed. And so we don't have to be this, this barbaric authoritarian who, who goes home from practice every night, you know, um, and kicks their dog because they're just in a bad mood after a bad practice. Feed the cats coaches, find a new love for coaching in a different type of way because the kids love practice as much as they love the game. So I think those are the, uh, those are huge. Also kind of a weird thing. Um, I always suggest to, um, to limit anything done on weekends that I, I wish coaches could be creative enough to give kids Saturday and Sunday off. If they did that, they would be so much better on Monday. They on, if they would be so anxious after watching football all day long on Saturday and Sunday, they'd be like, I miss this game. I miss this game. And I mean, I talked to a couple of our football players that won their first 10 games this year. And I said, was the season long? So coach, it was such a grind. And I think our football program does a lot right, but you don't want the football program to be a grind. You, those two days off. And then man, if you can, you know, get a little bit more informal with their coaches and encourage them to work on their own instead of coming in for six hour meetings, your coaches will be better too. So I think it's, it's just a fresh way to look at coaching. And, um, and I guarantee, you know, you've seen all coaches that leave the profession. Um, I'm 64 now and I feel younger than I felt when I was 24. And that's because of the way I coach. I can tell you, um, even shortening the practice, like everything you're saying has a piece to make pra make you a better coach. And when you said that, my key thought was, when practice is short, I'm not making up 10 ridiculous drills to put my kids through. So my kids don't have to go through a ridiculous drill that I made up at noon today at my lunch hour or lunch 30 minutes, wherever you go to school at. And, uh, and I didn't have to put them through a bunch of foo-foo stuff. I broke down a piece of the game and I used a game-like scenario for my drill and we got out of there, right? Like... Hey, our linebackers suck at reads. Let's do some key reads and do the thing. And, and so once again, I'm, I'm all in on all those things you just talked about. Uh, we last episode, we talked about not coming in on weekends anymore. I hate coming on Saturdays. Like it makes no sense to me that you make a kid come in on Saturday. So yeah, I've been taking notes over here, coach. First thing I wrote down is my kids will sleep nine hours. They just miss first and second period. So that's how they, <laughs> that's how they uh, sleep nine hours. <laughs> well, maybe school needs to start at 10 o'clock. Oh, yeah, we, I, we, I've been a part of that conversation many, many times. Yes, yeah. let's start school later. We're all – we're night owls anymore, right? But a, a lot of what we do as coaches, and this has been challenged by you, and, and we've kind of passed it on to our coaches, is if you have to limit reps, what you unintentionally do or intentionally do, however you think about it, is you start to prioritize better as a coach. Because if I tell you, like Daniel just said, if I tell you you have – 30 minutes with your defensive lineman for individual. All right. That's a lot of time. So you're going to do some stuff. I say, okay, Dan, you have 10 minutes. Well, now he's going to pick the two most important drills that they need to get better at. And again, you've now I've forced him to prioritize what's most important. So that's helped us a lot. Yeah. And, and also, as you know, football coaches stay up at night with a notepad next to their bed. And, and they're constantly adding stuff, adding stuff, adding stuff. And, and, you know, the book Essentialism is such an important book for coaches because whenever you edit, whenever you cut out stuff, you'll never cut out the important stuff. You are creating that prioritization. And so many coaches don't prioritize anything. They see it all and want to add. And I've had had the conversations, you know, like, what if you got rid of a third of your offense? And, and 
you know, the, you know, you know what that does to coaches is like, oh my God, you know, I, you know I, I, we wouldn't be any good. I said, no, what third would you get rid of? And they said, well, I guess the third that's not as effective as the other two thirds. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. Let's do that. Done. Yeah. Done. That's awesome. So coach, you've mentioned twice already tonight and, and I, I've got, you got some convincing to do because I still see a little bit of need for it and it's drop in conditioning. Okay, because we all we know when you get to the end of that first game, your kids are smoked and you've conditioned them all summer. So what does that look like if you didn't do any conditioning? My fear as a new coach who ran a lot as a player um, is that now that's backed up to halftime or second quarter and we're gassed. So my question to you is how are we getting players tough? What are we doing in that replacement of conditioning to make sure that we're mentally and physically able to carry out our game plan? Well, it's, it's really, it's really counterintuitive. It, what's intuitive is like I, I train track athletes. Uh, you would think that we would need to really, really run a lot to create four, good 400 runners. And it, it's the opposite. We sprint, we get fast, and then we don't ever run more than 200 meters ever in practice. And you say, well, how in the world can they compete in that, grueling last part of the 400 without ever running that in practice i right. well it's counterintuitive but i'm telling you it works now we you know just to, like tomorrow we're doing three 200s with four minutes rest and they will bust their ass on all three of them and they will be in a fetal position afterwards so they're not running a full four well the same concept works in football that if your practices become game-like. Um, I love the term, Les Bellman says, you gamify training. Um, now that can mean a couple different things. One is you keep score, you record rank and publish, you make it interesting, but it also means you make it like a game. So if your practices look like practices instead of like a game speed, then I believe there's no amount of conditioning you can do at the end of practice that will make you better in the fourth quarter. You know, we learn well by stories. Um, I had a uh, an old school football coach who went full in, drank the Kool-Aid to feed the cats, stopped conditioning, nothing on the weekends. His kids were sleeping in till noon on Saturdays, blah, blah, blah. They used to get up at 7 a.m. on Saturdays and run them. And he called me and he said, coach, we're 3-0. and And we just beat Centralia last night. And my uh, my good running back, 33 carries for 317 yards. And he said, you know, we didn't condition one time. And I said, was he gassed for that last carry? He laughed and said, hell yeah, he was. But he gained 17 yards on that last carry. And there's nothing I could have done during the week that would have made him fresh. I'll repeat that. There's on that 33rd carry in the fourth quarter, there's nothing you can do. There's You could run 10,000 gassers. And he probably would have gained 180 yards instead because he wouldn't have been as fast. So every time you condition, you're making your kids slower. They don't, they check out mentally. They're in survival mode during the practice instead of going during the practice. My father was a basketball coach for a big game. He'd always bring us in and say, guys, we're cutting practice down to 70 minutes, an hour and 10 minutes. That's all we're not conditioning. And we'd look at each other like, holy hell, I wish those practices would have been videoed because they were the most aggressive, tough. I mean, I don't, I just don't think tired kids are tough. You know, we, we run them to get them tough, but it's like the opposite. It's counterintuitive. So I really believe that if you have a really fast team, they're going to be fast in the fourth quarter. It'll, it'll take some getting used to for me because uh, being military guy, our our motto is kind of like don't ever let the first time be the first time so if i'm going to have to operate at an exhausted level i better have been exhausted before in my life and been forced to operate now maybe that and i'm not an operator by the the term of like military term i just mean in anything you're doing i've had 72 hour missions on the road in, in iraq or afghanistan right and you're tired at the end but i guarantee i didn't stay up for 72 hours and go you know do a mission just to get ready to be doing a mission after 72 hours. It didn't happen that way. Um, 
but there's still that concept of like get tired and try to do what you're going to have to do and maybe it just shows you the the how you're going to fail when that happens so maybe it you know prioritizes sleep for you or whatever but it is really a big part of what we do is that don't let the first time be the first time so i'm wherever i end up this next year of coaching I'm going to pitch this no conditioning idea and I hope someone buys in because I want to record it. You talk about, I mean, I already record practice, so I want to see the effort. I want to see, and I want to, I want to take, I'm, I'm a scientist, I'm a biologist, right? I want to take notes and have data that says, of course we were exhausted. So were you in the fourth quarter, but were we more or less? And I, I would love to just see the data there. Or were uh, you faster? I mean, I, I still say that speed. the faster team, you know, like if you can run 22 miles an hour, you could be tired and run 19. And, and I, I think that's really true. And then that thing about toughness too, you brought up the military and stuff. You know, I think one of the reasons why military guys are so tough is because of love. The mil- one of the things that they don't talk about enough is that the toughest guys in the military love their brothers. And that, you know, it's, it, what I'm saying, it's counterintuitive. Love sounds soft, but love, we, we fight for things we love. We fight for things we love. So if we made football more lovable, kids already love it. But man, if we made practice lovable too, where where kids look forward to practice, you know, a lot of kids, it's just the death march from Monday through Thursday. Right. Waiting for the game. That's the way it was for me. If I could have pushed a button every Monday to make Monday into Thursday, I would have pushed that button every damn week because I didn't like practice. As a quarterback, and and they they try to get me tough by running my ass off every day, and I was like, "Why are we doing this? Why don't we work on our passing game a little bit?" But anyway, that that thing about love making us tough, I think, is really important. Yeah, I was going to say too, Daniel. First of all, your military, so what you're training for is a little different, and I know that's hard for you because a lot of the coaches we like to we like to call football a war. That's not the truth. Like for war, you could die. Like you're fighting for your country. We're coaching a game with kids. You know, and I think sometimes we gotta be careful with that. A couple of notes I had for Tony that we've done we've done this now. You know, we've we've gone through feed the cats and we've gone through the year. And uh, we had zero cramps this year. <laughs> uh, very little limited injuries. The word that I always come back with what Tony kind of got to us is the word suboptimal. Like half of our practices in football are run at slow pace. And so like when you're doing that, you're running at 80%. Even if you don't tell your kids, hey, if you say we're going to run fade routes and you don't give them a number or you don't tell them how many they're going to do or you don't give them time to recover, they're not stupid. Like they're going to start running that not full speed because they can't. And so what happens is the first time they've run a full speed fade route is on Friday night. And so now that kid's going to cramp because he's not been performing at high, you know, at, at, at optimal, at, at whatever the word is, Tony knows all the fancy words, but the, at full <laughs> speed, you know. And so one of these we've done early on, we don't condition now at all, but in the summer we would do three to four second bursts. So if you want to, if you're forced, hey, we, I think we have to do a little bit to get at least a baseline before we start into whatever. You can do game-like situations, like he said. That could be, you know, but it's only going to be three seconds worth of whatever it is, a full speed. And we don't do very many of those. We do them at like 40 second optimal. And then we've kind of, we've now gone away from doing that at all. But we started off with that. The other thing I wanted to hit was um, game-like drills. Think about coaches, pursuit drill. It's a very game-like drill. You're full speed. That makes sense. We're all working full speed. You can do tackling drills from space, full speed. You can do routes, full speed. You can do coverage, full speed. You can do hitting a sled, full speed for three seconds. There's a lot of things you can do that doesn't mean you have to do it at the end of practice because you did it during practice. Like you did it during practice. You conditioned during practice. And the second, the last thing I wanted to hit was the word tough. You know, Tony kind of hit it with love, and I, I do think that's true. There's a lot of ways you can train toughness without just running the crap out of a kid. Like you can train toughness by putting a kid in a hard mental situation, you know, a coverage situation. You can put them under pressure. We're going to do five push-ups if you screw up on this. That doesn't run his legs off. Where now he's under pressure. He has to perform in a tough environment, some kind of skill you're going to ask him to do in a game. 
You know, and now that kid doesn't hate you because he understands what you're trying to do. Like you're not just running him because you don't like him. Like you're putting him in a situation to help him be successful down the road. And I think, again, the word he he put on there was love. You're going to get a lot of kids that will play their guts out for you if they know you love them, not play their guts out for you because they're scared of you. And I think that's a very different coaching mindset. Sure is. So uh, last last little part of this this question, and we'll move on. Um, so how do you get your coaches and fans on board? Um, Coach Simpson, I want to hear from you first this time. And I just want to hear, I know you're all about let the professional in the room talk, but I want to know how did you get your coaches to commit to no conditioning? Well, you got to win. So first of all, make sure, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I will say this, here's what coaches are scared of. And I, and I believe this is a very true statement in football. We would rather lose with what we're comfortable with and fans are comfortable with than be willing to step outside the box and take a chance. And I think that is prevalent in football. I don't know about other sports because I don't coach other sports as much, but I think football coaches would rather lose running an offense that everyone else is running than running a unique offense that you might lose with because it's unique. Same thing I think with this, with what Tony's going with here is, you know, a lot of coaches would rather lose doing things the way they've always done it then take the risk because it's a big risk of stepping out and being different than everyone else to play. Now, the good thing is a lot of coaches are getting on board with it. Hey, this makes sense. Do it. So it's not as hard anymore. It's not real hard to say your coaches on working less hours. I'm there right now, <laughs> believe it or not, not very hard. Now, what you have to do is talk about efficiency. So that's what a big word in our field house is efficiency. You know, we're going to work. I don't bring my coaches on Saturday. That's stupid, you know, but get your work done and be ready to go. Be efficient during our time. You know, I, we don't bring our players in there. And then we talk about the same thing in our weight room. You know, we we had Derek Smith. It was one of my favorites, probably one of the best we've ever had uh, with strength and conditioning. Then he decided to be a full-time plumber because apparently we're going to pay him a lot more money doing that. Tony, I can't believe it. So now uh, we, brought in, we brought in another guy. Uh, and so he's now kind of getting on board with how we're being efficient. Everybody's different. Everybody's kind of got things they like that are different, but how can we be efficient in what we're doing and not just doing something because it's always been done. So that's big for coaches. Fans are a little can be a little more finicky in the South, you know, welcome to where football is a religion at times and not just a sport. It can be tougher there. Uh, however, I think a lot of fans do appreciate, especially now uh, that you're not just wearing their kid out as far as now, you're going to have those crazy ones that want, and I'm one of them that expect you to, you know, be there up there all day and their kids up there all day. And we got to get ready for the big game. So you're not going to get away from that. Like I've, I've been, at a high peak in coaching and I've been at the lowest of the low in coaching and uh, they're going to turn on you, whether you win or lose, not really whether you're running this program or not. I just, I hate to be honest, but that's honest. Yeah, no, I got you. Um, I, I've seen in my years of coaching both extremes kind of. So this last year we did do some conditioning um, but we used a thing called quarters, which was um, short burst sprints like you were talking about, Kenny. And so it was like a five-yard sprint, a 15, a 20, a, a 3, a 10, a 5. Right? You're moving back and forth, and you move up and down the field, and you do it four times, and that was four quarters of football. And it was still that mentality of like, one, it's sports-specific because you don't ever play isn't a 100-yard sprint or a gasser, Right. Um, you get a little bit of discipline and like keep your hands and feet behind the line and going when you're supposed to, we double, you know, we go on two, we go on three, we go on sound. Um, so we use it as a training opportunity to be specific to football and we got a little bit of running in, right? And that was kind of our early, say I went down there in June or July. So in early August, probably that's kind of what we started doing. Um, I, I think there's ways to combine the two worlds for now and then until you fully buy in and go with the no conditioning. I don't know what a, a preseason like how my question is how do you get ready for that first get that first practice, right? I want my kids to be mentally able to take things in at minute ninety, but sticking to a ninety minute um well, one thing we've done, I don't know if Tony talks about this at all, and I don't know if it probably he does. And but what we have done in our practice scheduling is we do like, let's say I'm doing 15 minutes of individual with our kids. So the first five of that's going to be speed and we're going to get after it and kind of go. 
And then the second five minute period, and that's going to be like a mental ish period where like if we have receivers, they're going to be working like ball drills where, yeah, they're still working a skill. We're still getting them better, but we're extremely low on the physical output. And then the last five minutes, now we're back to running a route. So again, we're giving them time inside of that five minutes. Then we're giving them a whole five minute kind of easiest period. Then bam, we're back in another five minute period where they're only going to get. And we tell them up front, I'll count. Like I, I work with our guards a lot because we pull our guards a lot. So I'll count. We got four guards. We have five minutes. Each guard is going to get, you know, five reps or maybe it's going to be six reps, depending on what our time looks like. Because you're only going to run six reps, but they better be going. You better be moving. <laughs> you know, and then the next period of that, we're going to do some smaller stuff with them. Coach, we got you frozen on the screen. Oh, now you're back. I'm you're back. super froze Sorry. on my screen. From no, it's fine. We got all your verbiage. We just you were you were stuck doing a karate chop. It's great. Good. I was. I was talking about just moving around. But I, I don't know if Tony hits that kind of stuff. But that's that's something we've kind of implemented in our football practices, and it's really helped our kids. Yeah, you know, I, I wrote an article for you called "The Wave Theory." That it was sounds it. like you're really doing. You know, like you realize that on your high days, on your some people call them sprint days, that you can't sprint the whole time. <laughs> you you have to be high and low. Uh, Dan Casey uh, let me know, I think it was about five or six years ago when he was still coaching out in North Carolina, that he instituted a halftime in practice. And I think that's brilliant. But he also said that his coaches kind of rebelled. You know, it was like, these guys are like sitting around drinking Gatorade under a shade tree. I mean, like, this is not football. And he was like, well, it kind of is football. It kind of, that's what we do in the locker room. Right. Uh, do you need to take them in and tell them the game plan for the next half? Like, do you need it for more football? Right. And just a chance to talk to your coaches for a few minutes. Like what went right? What went wrong in the first half of practice? Not a game. And how do we want to change our plan for the second half? It's really coaching your coaches as well. But one of the things that uh, Matt Campbell spoke at a uh, track football consortium for us, and one of my favorite takeaways um, is that he said that they used to do uh, 20, 20 consecutive plays and they've changed. Uh, now they do a cluster, the cone clusters, a cluster of five plays. Now, because they're only five plays, he thinks they're going faster and he, he thinks they are more game-like. And so they go five and then his, his twos go five. And at that time, his ones leave and they go over and they get coached up for five minutes. So he's really creating this internal wave-like thing, which if you think about football, you know, high school football game is, you know, over two hours. And, and it's about two hours of standing around. I mean, it's, it's five minutes of playing. Or if we're going both ways, it's 10 minutes. And one of my favorite questions coaches ask, hey, I got a bunch of two-way players. Do I have to condition them twice as much? I go, no, half as much. You have to keep those kids healthy. If you wear that two-way player down during the week, he will have nothing left for you on Friday night. So you need half as much. Once again, it seems like everything I preach is counterintuitive. What you think you should do, you might want to try the opposite. And I love, I have to mention that the Kenny thing, that's what Kenny talked about with fans and coaches. I, I've had coaches say, I am all in. I've listened to your three-hour deal, and oh, my God, I'm all in. I can't wait, but I'm afraid two of my coaches will quit. Also, I'm afraid that if I lose two games in a row, there will be a special board meeting. And I'm like, well, I mean, this the guy who actually said this had a wonderful coach's personality, and he's probably selling himself short. He can sell it. If we can't sell stuff to kids and to our assistants and to our parents, what are we doing in this profession? We, we are a, uh, a charismatic leader. Charismatic means God's gifts. We have God's gift of convincing people to do things. And it's, it's everybody. So, so I, I feel bad when coaches say, I'd rather lose and, and do it the old way. I realize football is the most traditional, patriotic, uh, military sport in the world. Um, football coaches are the most stubborn, but um, but but it's changing. It's starting to change, and I think that's exciting. We're seeing it with a lot of youth, right? A lot of young coaches. Um, you look at LA. You know they bring in Sean McVay, right? 
Um, one of the youngest head coaches in history. We've got youth is starting to take over. The old guys, nothing against old guys, but I think that generation of hard nose, everything's got to be this certain way is, is slowly going away, right? And we've still got some. We still got some right here in Northeast Oklahoma, okay? And they're going to be here probably longer than we want, just because that's that's how it is, right? They're going to be there until someone boots them out. But given that new wave, a chance that that new coach with the the science that's backed all their things, you know, we've we bought into systems like yours, coach. Um, that's uh, we'll start seeing the change a, a little things. more. Yeah, too, Daniel. You know, one, you you have to understand that there's going to be guys that are successful that run what Tony runs, and that are hardcore guys, and and there are guys that have won state championships doing both. So right. you can't just can't go that way. Second thing is this: is football coaches a lot of times I think, and I know I did, so I can't speak to everybody. We want our practice to feel efficient and good. Like we want to, and efficient is the wrong word. We want to, we want to practice to feel good about the practice, not practice to get ready to play the game. You know, and I think that might be what you were talking about with Dan, you know, where he's doing something that's like a game, but it feels weird because it's not how you normally practice and you feel like you're not getting, because the thing that all our football coaches talk about is we got to get, you know, they brag about, we got 90 reps in 40 minutes or 90 reps in 20 minutes. I'm like, well, those probably weren't very good reps. And I, so there's a lot of things inside of that where we got to kind of rethink what we're doing. Our goal, and, and coaches mentioned it, our goal of practice is to be as game-like as possible. As game-like as possible. If you're not doing it in a game, why are you doing it in practice? And I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent. I don't waste coaches' time here. But, like, think about basketball. Why the crap are you dribbling two basketballs? Like, when, when is that ever going to happen? How is it making the kid better? I don't know. Why in football are you doing drills with equipment that doesn't even exist in the sport? And the answer, Daniel, you said was because some position coach got told he had 40 minutes of individual time and he had to figure something out. That's the reality of it, you know. All right, Coach, we'll move into the last point here and, and – then we'll we'll start closing out. Uh, we've gone longer than I thought we would. But um, so, how will you structure conditioning for games? And and I want to hit this in two different. For, first is O line or the big boys, tight ends, whatever they happen to be, H backs. Second being your skill kids. So earlier you talked about splitting them in the off season for weights and sprints or um, uh, speed training. So what are you doing to structure a conditioning type situation for those two groups? O line first, if you don't mind. That the question's to me? It is. Okay. Well, it, I, it sounds weird, but I just wouldn't. <laughs> I, 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 I really don't worry about conditioning. Um, and and that, that sounds so flippant and weird. Uh, but we would just play. Uh, I, we, we, would, we would do football. We would – receivers would run routes. Kenny talked about his guards would pull. Um, we, we would block and tackle. And and not one time would I ever feel like, gee, I wonder if we're going to get really tired. Um, I mean, I just wouldn't worry about that. All I would care about is being really good football players. And I would remind my coaches that that you know we we might be so far ahead in the after the first half that the second half doesn't matter. Right. I mean that that's kind of the goal. That's, the goal is to be <laughs> the best. The best damn football players we could possibly be, not not the best at getting tired. So so, I want my football coaches to understand that that they need to be as uncomfortable as I am with how little we're doing, and that that just sounds weird, I know. But when when I played football in the mid seventies, we practiced for three hours in the morning of the first day and three hours at night. And I could barely get out of bed in between practices to go to the second practice. They burnt the steak in the first hour of the first day. The, the goal was to break us down to then build us back. And they did that six days a week for two weeks. And then it was game week. And we had probably 10 to 20% of our players were injured. Um, players were if they would have measured miles per hour we were all running four miles per hour less i mean that's like the opposite of what i preach what i preach is we are going to practice so little that we're uncomfortable on day one but we're not going to let today ruin tomorrow 
We're never going to let today ruin the morning. Like I said, my coaches let the morning practice ruin the afternoon practice. And I can only imagine how we felt the next morning. Right. And uh, we always felt a sense of accomplishment because we went through that hell. But to Kenny's point, were we better football players? Because we were not. Absolutely. We were not. So what I would do is football-like stuff. If I felt like our offensive line was not getting in um, the sprints that they they need to build some capacity, you can build com- capacity by doing something like we, we do a capacity workout. You might like this in track <clears throat> where we run 10 40s spiked up. We run the 40. We walk back. We have a 10 meter run in. It's actually 10, 10 fly 40s. And so we're running 10 40s in 10 minutes. And it's hard, but it's fast. And it does build some sprint capacity. By sprint capacity, I don't consider that conditioning. I don't use the E word endurance or the C word conditioning ever in my coaching. So, but I do like the word capacity that we want to have the capacity to do that. And I have to mention how Brian Kulo was somebody that really, really, um, I've really connected with. And his work with Christian McCaffrey, if you watch the videos of Christian working out, first of all, he looks like a sprinter, but he's doing everything at like 100 miles an hour. Whether it's weight room, jumping, sprinting, what you don't see in those in those compilations is you don't see the three or four minutes rest in between each one. Right. I mean, they are, you cannot go that fast without that break. But if you go that fast 40 times in a 90 minute period with a three minute rest, you build capacity. And so when he went and had to do a stupid conditioning test for the Panthers, he won the thing. Without ever working on endurance, without ever conditioning, all he did was stack together high intensity shit. And he ends up winning the conditioning test. And probably several of the people he he beat ran mileage. They ran stadium stairs. They sacrificed doing things that win football games to pass their dumb conditioning test, where he said, to hell with it. I'm just going to be the best athlete I can be. Yeah, that's uh, what you said about not seeing the rest is is big time because coaches do watch that stuff and they watch (laughs) it on their TikTok or whatever they're using and it's snap, snap, snap. And they're like, hey, we got to run them fast. Let's go. Like, it's a key point that's being left out there. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we will. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, make your practice. Coaches hit it several times. Make your practice game like and you don't have to. Like, that's, that's the thing that really we've sold our kids with. And, it, and it, sometimes it's with a threat. I mean, it's not an ugly threat, but it's because I don't want to run you and I don't want to condition you because this is what we believe. But if you're going to come out here and be lazy when we do expect you to sprint, then there may be a consequence. Now, I've not had to ever use that consequence yet, but because they don't want that consequence because they've been around. They probably talked to their older brothers that I coached five years ago that I killed, you know, so they know that I can but they don't want it. And so what it does is now imagine, now imagine your guards going, I ain't got a condition. So I just, how hard are they going to play for you during drills? And that's what coach Holler's been mentioning is when you know, you don't have to condition, you go hard. And when you know you do have to condition the whole time, you're like, what are we going to do after practice? This is going to suck. What are we going to do? And then subconsciously you are saving fuel in the tank Instead of emptying it out, we want you to empty it out and then reload it and empty it out again. And that's how we get you in shape to play football. I think that's how you play football games. That's that's football. That is football. That is exactly what you do. You go 110% and then you back off. I took one thing from this whole podcast and that was um, you got to lay it down once to threaten the future generations. So well, that's, that's, what, that's what Coach, Coach Simpson, Simpson just said. He just said, yeah. you got to go out and break them off one time, and then uh, everyone Well, here's, there are things you can do. So think about <laughs> this. Like, we did this with our kids in the weight room. Get them down there and do a push-up, like a frozen push-up. That sucks. 
but they're 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 completely done with that in 10 minutes they've recovered so are there unique ways you can punish that really hurt but don't hurt them developing absolutely and are there times that you got to take a knucklehead over there and make him not feel good but you don't want to screw him up for the game yeah you know but like taking around there and run him to the puke is probably not the not the brightest idea nebraska yeah, my, my threats, my threats are usually there's a couple local schools that I know, you know, train their sprinters the old way, you know, like 10 times 200. And then the next day, 10 times 300 and all that kind of stuff. And I, I just tell them I'm going to ship your ass to wherever, you know, <laughs> and you, 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 you can go to school there and see how you like that. Do you want, do you want to go hard or do you want to go long? You know? And so, so yeah, I guess I threaten some too. I mean, we, we just have fun with it. Well, guys, we've uh, we pushed pretty long on time, so we're going to move it along to um, our new infamous uh, piece here, and that is what not to do as a coach. So, uh, Coach Simpson, why don't you tell us today's lesson? Good. So today's lesson, and Coach Holler, always feel free to jump in if you want to, but today's lesson on coaching is don't do dumb things to be tough. You know, so a lot of times as football coaches or really any coach, we decide we've got to show these kids who's boss or we've got to kind of prove that we're the alpha. There's a lot of different things you can do. So unfortunately, a lot of times we use the speed world or we use the weight room as a way to do that. As a show that we're tough, we're going to do maybe uh, run them till they throw up or we're going to do bleachers or we're going to do squatting till they can't move their legs. Or So we're going to do all of these things that are physically detrimental to kids simply in the name of being tough or you've seen them a lot of times they're doing wall sits and that coach is like walking across them and doing different things just to kind of kind of show off your drill sergeant which in my mind i think kids at this point yeah, there are some of them that you're going to get because they're the good kids and they're going to do whatever you want but you're going to alienate more than you're going to get doing that kind of stuff there are ways to prove that you're tough like i'm going to do things that are uncomfortable like love you even when no one else will like that's tough you know, like, I'm going to be there for you when no one else is going to be there for you. That's tough. You know, I'm going to be the one that cleans up the trash and shows you by example what to do. There's a, there are ways to be tough, really tough, as opposed to what I call pseudo tough. And you see those guys all the time. You want They probably drive around in giant trucks and they probably, you know, have different things they do because they're really kind of nervous about their own masculinity and so it manifests itself by bullying 13 14 15 16 year old kids so that's today's lesson coach you can jump in if you want to on don't do dumb things just to be tough yeah i love that and i i think is eric quorum that said toughness is task specific that and i think it was uh um i think if you think like that you know like a navy seal is really really tough um but you know those i saw a picture of the big 10 cross country championships with snow blowing crossways. And these guys are all wearing those short shorts and tank tops. Those guys are tough too. You know, (laughs) and a a tight rope walker walking from building to building is that guy's tough too, you know? And and so toughness is really that, that you're good at, at completing and excelling at the task that's in front of you. And it, 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 when we when we focus on that, I think kids see the significance in practice and it makes practice something they look forward to. Yeah, perfect. All right, uh, Coach Simpson, getting out of here. Why don't you tell us a way that we can simplify football for our staff and for our players? Sure. Yeah, Coaching 101 podcast is sponsored by Findaway Productions. Findaway Productions houses the OffensiveCoordinatorAcademy.com website, which has everything you might want to run an offense, including an academy, workbooks, templates, everything you might want. Also, the DefensiveCoordinatorAcademy.com, which houses everything defense, including the new Defensive Line Coach Academy. Finally, uh, the FBCoachSimpson.com website, which houses Headsets the Magazine, which our guest tonight wrote a full uh, series of articles in series two and headsets also houses the gun T offensive system. Anything you want to know about the gun T is over there. Three, four swarm 29 books. Now coach Holly, believe that 29 books now uh, that you can get to either make fun of me for how bad they're written, or maybe learn a little bit about coaching. We hope there's something you can take from it over there. And I can't finish my first one. Come on, coach. You've got a long way to go if you're going to stand up to that dude's stack of books. I own most of them. I don't even have a, a library shelf big enough. So it's 
He's getting uh, he's getting way ahead there, man. Um, if you're in Northeast Oklahoma or Northwest Arkansas and you need physical therapy, please look out or reach out to Adaptable Physical Therapy. Um, we are at adaptablephysicaltherapy.com. Uh, that'd be Dr. Samantha Chamberlain. She's the DPT, so Doctor of Physical Therapy. Um, she handles everything on and sticking to the the motif here. You know, sports performance. Um, she's there to help develop that. If you've got a kid that's torn an ACL, uh, a pulled anything. You talked about cramps earlier, Coach Simpson. I mean, the minorest of things you can come in and see. We're going to give you a free evaluation. Um, Samantha's my wife. She'll be the one there doing it. She's also currently concussion certified. So if you had a kid that's gone through a concussion, the science has changed. It's much different than what you remember. Um, it's no longer lock yourself in a room and don't ever talk to people or look at anything or be in the light for you know a week or whatever. Everything's changed. Everything you know has changed. <clears throat> We're not doing rice anymore. It's peace and love now. Please Google peace and love, injury recovery, and follow that. Get rid of your NSAIDs. Get rid of your ice. Those things are not good for your athletes. You will return to your sport quicker if you just get away from those two. Uh, moving on to social media, Coach Simpson, where can we find you at? Uh, everything with me is FB Coach Simpson. So FB Coach Simpson at gmail.com for email at FB Coach Simpson on Twitter. And then a lot of different groups in the Facebook world on uh, both all the academy groups and the Shotgun Wing T group. Perfect. Thanks, sir. And Coach Holler, where can we find you? If somebody wants to I'm reach out and ask you a question. I'm mainly on Twitter, um, and that's at PN Track. I coach at Plainfield North, so it's at PN Track. Um, or you can just look for my name, but I'm also my, I have a son that's a digital content guy. And so he has me on TikTok now and he has me on Insta and, and I have, uh, I have a hell of a YouTube now. Um, so I have all that stuff. I, I have courses on coach tube. Um, so I'm all over the place, but, uh, yeah, I'm easy to find. Perfect. Appreciate it. And I am on Twitter at coach Chambo. Okay. Uh, it'll be Daniel Chamberlain's the name. Also, you can email me at any time at chamberlainfootballconsulting at gmail.com. If you have questions about the podcast, you want to come on and be a guest, uh, you want to get in touch with Kenny about headsets, anything that you might need. If you want to be a guest, if you want to tell us who you want to listen to, I mean, we can we can use your requests to go reach out and get people. So the podcast is at Coaching101Pod there on Twitter. We want to thank you for being a listener of the Coaching 101 podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue to make the complex more simple. Please consider subscribing to the show so you'll always know when new episodes are out. We'll leave you with this. It's hard to beat someone who never gives up. No matter the situation, find a way.